And all of that ties into the message. All of it ties in. His grace is sufficient. You'll see all that in just a moment. You're in Daniel chapter 1. You'll notice our series is entitled, When Faith is in the Fire. In the first message, we're going to look at this subject, Standing for Christ in a Hostile World. And I don't know that I'd have to really convince anyone here today of that fact. We definitely live in a world that is becoming increasingly angry and hostile and violent and punishing toward people of faith, but especially Christians. You know, I was thinking this morning as I even just kind of glanced at some stories, recent stories uh, on websites of uh, some persecution existing not only abroad, but also in our homeland. Just stories, uh, for instance, as, as, as recent as the shootings in South Carolina. I mean, just a few hundred miles away from here, while people are gathering on a Wednesday night for a Bible study, they are shot point blank dead on a Wednesday evening in the church house. Amazing, isn't it? It's a chaotic world we're living in. Would you not agree with me that that's pretty angry? pretty hostile, pretty chaotic story. So many like that. Many that are outspoken for Jesus Christ around the world are being ruthlessly killed because of their faith. Just recently I read of 12,500 Christians in northern Nigeria that have been killed because of their, of their commitment to Jesus Christ. It's a lot of people. When you begin to think about 12,500, it's about a third of the population of the city limits of Hot Springs. Just wiped out because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Recently, we read of a 10-year-old girl that was killed going home from a Bible study. You know, I announced a Bible study here just a moment ago that my wife's going to be having it on Friday nights at our house at 621 Third Street, right down the street. Can you imagine just walking out of the Bible study after just having, you know, learned some things about the Word of God and Scripture and how you can walk with Jesus and you're walking towards your car and somebody targets you. They targeted this little girl, they said. And they shot her to death, walking home from a Bible study. And then as I walked into the auditorium this morning at 9 o'clock, I met Mary Beth, who is the daughter of our very own Marion Harold. Marion is in our auditorium this morning. And Marion has a granddaughter and a, and a grandson-in-law, if you will, that have been to our church on multiple occasions and have even testified in this pulpit. They were going to one mission field and then that kind of fell through and so they had to transition their thinking and, their, and, their, and position themselves to head to Budapest. And that's where they've been. And so today as we sit in this auditorium, seemingly free from a lot of the chaos going on around the world, it seems like that, but really we're so close because in this room sits a grandmother of a missionary in Budapest now where there are hundreds and thousands of refugees, some of them Muslims, many of them Muslims, some of them Christians that are just trying to get away from persecution. As ISIS comes upon them and pushes them out, they try to flee to other countries. There they are, and there in the midst of all that chaos, stabbings and riots in the streets, is somebody who just a few months ago stood in this pulpit and shared with us that God is leading them now to Budapest. And who'd have thought, Marion, that they would be in this, in the middle of this sermon? Who'd have thought that they would be modern-day Daniels? Your daughter and your, your granddaughter, a Daniel for the name of Jesus. 
standing in the midst of chaos and hostility and murders and beheadings. It's amazing, isn't it? So you see, it's not really all that far from us. And I think it would be significant for us to realize that it's not going to get a lot better before it gets a lot worse. <laughs> it's important for you to, to just not, not just say, you know, well, I don't want to hear that. But no, to, to say, I want to hear the truth. Amen? It's going to get a lot better before it gets a lot worse. And, and you know, that, 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 that may be okay because we, we, we get that from Scripture. We understand that to be the Word of God. And so with that said, maybe the question this morning is, what are we to do? Well, we find in the book of Daniel the answer to that question. And that's why we're here. We are not here by accident. That's why we are in the book of Daniel. And we're going to talk about faith in the fire. And I don't know about you, but that puts a smile on my face. Because I sense that's where, that's where we're at today in, in the world. And so here we are, right, in the midst of a scripture that teaches us exactly how we need to, to act and react and, and to live in that environment. So let's start with being a student of God's Word, shall we? And let's get introduced to the book of Daniel. And just before we do anything, before we continue on through the book, let's stop and take a look at the book. First of all, an overview of the book of Daniel, and this begins your notes. Let's look at the makeup of the book of Daniel. What does the book of Daniel consist of? Well, it's only 12 chapters. It's 377 verses, and it's two sections. I love the Bible because it is so symmetric it's just perfect it's laid out with such chemistry and it's just a, a beautiful uh as a beautiful rhythm in every book of the bible and here we see 12 chapters but it is very easy to see a line that goes straight through the middle of the book of, Ch- of daniel in other words the first six chapters of the book of daniel where we'll spend most of our time are going to talk about daniel and his friends who took a stand against the king Nebuchadnezzar, and for their God. And that's what the first six chapters really are all about. They're about a story, a story of Daniel, a story of his friends who stood in the midst of chaos. The next six chapters in the book of Daniel are obviously chapters 7 through 12, and there are more of prophetic visions that Daniel had about the future. In fact, the future beginning even in his day. But you know what's interesting? We today can say with, without any question that we are still living in the midst of the visions that Daniel had in this book. 2,600 years later, the validity of the book of Daniel is still being told in these words, in this book. It's amazing, isn't it? And so that gives us an introduction into the book of Daniel. Let's look at the background of the book of Daniel. What in the world is going on during the writing of this book? Well, first of all, it might be good to know that God has just recently brought the children of Israel out from Egypt and into the what? Into the promised land. Surely we're at least we're educated enough in Scripture to know that when they came out of Egypt, they came into the... Yeah, it's okay to talk in church. And the reason I wanted you to say that is because we just sang about those promises. Standing on the promises. You know, there's a lot of promises in God's word, isn't there? It's amazing, isn't it? There were a lot of promises that God gave to the children of Israel. But there was a primary promise, if you will, and that was this, and it's still that way today. If you will obey my commands, you're going to be blessed. Amen. 
God still says that to all of us here today. If you'll obey my commands, it's going to be phenomenal. Milk and honey. That's the kind of Christian life God says he has for those who obey his word. This is a promise of God. You can stand on this promises. You cannot fall. If you obey his commands, God says you will be blessed. He said it 2,600 years ago, and he still says it today. But if you resist, and if you rebel against those promises, and follow after other gods, you are going to face judgment. And sadly, that's what our country is facing today. Judgment. The nation of Israel was facing the same judgment. Their kingdom had been divided. You've heard of the northern kingdom of Israel that, can, that, that consisted of ten tribes. And the southern kingdom of Judah, which consisted of two tribes. And so even the nation of Israel facing judgment had been divided. And so we see now the background of the book of Daniel. Then the date of the book of Daniel. When did it all begin? 605 B.C. Somewhat significant, really, uh, for a couple of thoughts in my message today. And so Daniel and his friends were taken captive around that time, 605 B.C. The confirmation of the book of Daniel would be this, that five times the book of Daniel is mentioned in other places in the Bible. Pretty cool, huh? In fact, two times, Jesus Christ himself, I believe in the book of Matthew, and if I'm not mistaken, in the book of Mark, we, we find two places where Jesus, Jesus himself, spoke of Daniel In the New Testament, what confirmation that gives to the book of Daniel when Jesus Christ himself validates his words. And then we have the relevance of the book of Daniel because some would say, come on, Eric, you just said it 2,600 years ago. Hey, listen, that was a long time ago. What could be relevant today? I mean, they were dressing different. They were living in different types of houses. The geographic, uh, geographic area, geographical area was different. The architecture was different. Their language was different. It was just different back then. It's different now. There were some things that were different. But Daniel loved the same God that you and I love. Daniel served the same God that you and I serve. And Daniel had the same Old Testament scriptures to read that you and I have. And Daniel lived in a hostile and wicked world just like you and I do. So could it be that the book of Daniel is very relevant for today? Daniel wanted to please God, but he felt the pressures that we feel. The book of Daniel is extremely relevant if you ask me. And then number six, the theme of Daniel. What do you think about when you think of the book of Daniel? If you're honest, not a trick question. I mean, I would say this. What would you say? Lion's Den. Thank you. Exactly. Lion's Den. That's what I think about. I mean, first thing, Daniel Lion's Den. And there's nothing wrong with that because that's, that's the familiar story. That's the one we tell our kids. That's the Sunday school story, right? It's great. But yet there's a deeper theme in the book of Daniel, and it's the theme that I want all of us to hear. It's the theme I want Marion to hear as she prays for her granddaughter in the midst of that chaos in Budapest this morning. It's this, that the sovereign protection of God in every situation for those who are loyal and standing for him. That's the deeper theme. That truly is what this entire book is about, or at least the first six chapters. That the sovereign protection of God in every situation is there for those, 
Very important, church, to, to not miss these next words. Who are loyal. Loyal in standing for him. Let me give you a verse that spells it out clearly. 2 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 9. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong. Sounds good, doesn't it? It is good, but read the last part of the verse. On behalf. Here's who I will show myself strong on behalf to. To them whose heart is loyal. To them whose heart is perfect toward me. And God's not speaking of us having to to be sinless or flawless, but in Christ, as you and I have accepted him, we begin to grow in him, and the evidence of our salvation is seen in our loyalty to him. Amen. And so God is looking to be strong on behalf of those who are loyal to him. Well, that's the overview of Daniel. Now let's go to the book of Daniel, chapter 1, and let's read it. There's 21 verses here, and they're amazing verses. They really are. And this is where I need you to pray that I can go quickly. Because I want to read these verses, and I'm praying that you have a Bible this morning. And if you don't, that you'll look on with someone else and be generous and kind to to your neighbors this morning. If you have a phone, be careful. Uh, You know, I I don't mind phones. I don't don't particularly like them on Sunday mornings. I feel like they're uh, not as easy to keep up with. But I I totally understand if you have a phone, uh, use that or an iPad, whatever you've got. It's okay. Uh, I'm glad you brought a Bible. And I want you to look at it. Look at the words with me. Verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came... Let me introduce to you this wicked king. His name is Nebuchadnezzar. He's king of Babylon. He comes to Jerusalem. And here's what he does, church. He besieges it. That's a big word, but it simply means this. That he causes these folks to surrender. They do surrender. And then he takes control. Are you with me? He takes control of their land. You can imagine, all of a sudden, everything changes. This is 605 B.C. This is the first of three Babylonian captivities that these people will face. And the Lord, the Bible says, now gives to Jehoiakim. Jehoiakim was the king of Judah. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim into Nebuchadnezzar's hand. Do you see that? Now, it's interesting because there were 19 kings during this 345 years of captivity, if you will. Three Babylonian captivities, 345 years, 19 kings. And of these 19 kings, 11 were bad. 11 were wicked. Eight were good. The bad part of this story is Jehoiakim was one of the 11. He was one of the wicked ones. And, of course, Nebuchadnezzar was wicked. You got a wicked king, take another wicked king, and there's going to be a lot of, I'm sure, camaraderie here before long. And he takes and brings them into his hand, Nebuchadnezzar's hand. Look at this now. With part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God. Pay close attention. I have those words underlined. His God, Nebuchadnezzar's God, not our God, not the only God, but, but his false God. And he brought the vessels. What were those vessels? Those were vessels from the house of God. Those were musical instruments. We have musical instruments in our church today. Vessels, if you will, to, to what? To worship God, to honor God, to give glory to God. I'm thankful today that we have guitars and a piano and a drum set and and keyboards. We have instruments. And you know what? We use those instruments to glorify God. We make a wonderful sound and everything's about Jesus. 
and all of the music is lifted up to Jesus. And they came into the temple, the house of God, and they took these vessels and they stole them. And they began to sing and worship their false gods with those instruments. And they began to mock and make fun of of them now by saying, listen, your God was so weak, he couldn't keep us from taking the vessels out of your house. A lot of hatred and, and again, taking control here. And the king, verse 3, spoke to Aspenaz, the master of the eunuchs, and he, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and of the princes. So I just want a certain group to take prisoner. And we're going to use these prisoners. Pay attention now. Kind of, kind of attach yourself to this. This is getting really good and detailed, but it's so good to understand this because my, my thoughts are going to be small at the end. But if you get the message of the chapter, it will mean so much more to you when we apply the truth. And so here they are in verse number three, talking about taking people prisoner. So here's my question. Here's your question. What kind of people are we talking about? Look at verse number four. Children. Young people. Hunters. How many of you would say Hunter's good looking? Hunter look good looking? He's a good looking boy, isn't he? Does he look smart to you? Seems pretty intelligent. They would have come and got Hunter, I promise you that. They wanted the ones with no blemish. They wanted young people who were well-favored, skillful in all wisdom, cunning in knowledge. Daniel was probably 15 years old. 15 to 20. He was young. He would have been Zoe's age. He'd have been Zoe's age. Let's get Zoe. Let's take him away. He's cunning. He's skillful. He's got knowledge. He's got understanding. He has ability to them to stand in the king's palace whom they might teach the learning and the tongues of the Chaldeans. We want the highest and the best. We want the highest SAT scores. We want the very best. And we're going to put them in charge in the king's palace. Look at verse 5. And the king appoints them a daily provision of the king's meat. Don't, Don't miss this. He provides them with meat and wine to drink. And here's why. Are you listening? Are you looking? We're going to nourish these choice servants three years. That at the end... Thereof they might stand before the king. Do you sense here the intense pressure to conform and to compromise? Are you with me? Can you sense it now? Can you see here the intense pressure that all of these people are going to be under? I wonder who is going to take a stand against this. Now among these, among all of these, there was a lot. But among these were Daniel and his three friends. And list their names. Verse 7, to whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names. He changed their names. Didn't seem to bother him all that much. Probably part of the, the brainwashing program. He calls Daniel Belteshazzar. And to Hananiah, he gives Shadrach. And to Mishael, Meshach, and Azariah, Abednego. Now the story turns here. Don't miss it. In verse 8, everything changes. Look at this. But... Daniel, Daniel, of everyone in the building, Daniel. Daniel purposes in his heart that he will not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. He draws the line. I'm okay with the name change. Name change is okay. You want to call me something else? Big deal. I can handle it. I'm okay with the location change. You want me to live here? I'm okay with, you know, you want me to do some things around the palace? I'm good with all that. 
you know, so far nothing's really affected my faith. I can't do that. I'm not defiling myself with your food and your wine. Several reasons why, as I studied why Daniel would draw the line here. But the greatest conclusion I can come to and support in just a moment is this, that they put great confidence in this food that was called the what? The king's meat. This food was set apart. This food was what was given credit because it was the king's food. This is the food that would sustain you. This is the food that would give you strength. We would now say that about this meal and about this wine, that, that if, we, if you take this food, that this is what will give you the strength to do what you need to do. And the credit would go to Nebuchadnezzar and his gods. Daniel didn't want that. Daniel didn't want the credit to go to anybody but his God. The only one and true and living God. You know, when Jesus was in the wilderness and fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, and the devil came to him and tempted him, do you think it was because he was on a good diet? You know, sometimes I think we put way too much credit in what we eat. We give the credit for vitamins and nutrients. Listen, I just want to confess to you last night that I took my son and daughter-in-law for the first time to a restaurant called Whiskers. Has anybody ever been to Whiskers? Listen, you're better off because of it, amen? Fried catfish, fried shrimp. I had me a poor boy, half oyster, half shrimp. You can tell I'm still looking healthier than ever before right now. Some of you look really pale that ate, you know, fruit juice and, you know, (laughs) I'm not against all that stuff. I'm happy for you, but good night. If I can't have me a juicy, greasy hamburger once in a while. You know why I'm saying all this? Because I don't want anybody coming up to me after and and, and thinking that the message here is that we all have become veggie eaters. (laughs) That's not the message at all. The truth is there was much more to this story than food and and the right kind of food. Daniel did not want the king to get credit. Daniel did not want the, the, the credit to go to his sustenance given to him by the king. So look at verse 9. God brought Daniel into favor and tender love with someone in the palace. It was the prince of the eunuchs. This guy loved Daniel. He thought Daniel was one cool dude. Daniel obviously was a very kind man. And so he gets favor with this guy. Verse 10. And the prince of the eunuchs says to Daniel, Daniel, listen, Dan. I know you don't want to eat the king's meat and drink the king's wine. But I got to be honest with you. I love you very much. I mean, you've made a good impression on me. But I fear the king. I fear Nebuchadnezzar, who has appointed your meat and your drink. This is what he said you have to eat. This is what he said you have to drink. For why should he see your face worse liking than the children which are of your sort? Are you with me? In other words, Daniel, if you go before the king in three years and you haven't eaten the meat and you haven't drinking the wine, you're not going to look as good as everybody else. You want to eat veggies and water, and you'll see that in just a minute. Daniel, this is not going to be good. In fact, Daniel, if you don't look like everybody else looks, the king is going to chop my head off. Isn't that what it says? And then you shall make me endanger my head to the king. 
Can you imagine the king? Daniel stands before the king, and he, he doesn't, he's pale, and he's not as heavy, and he doesn't look as strong. And he says, who's responsible for this? And the prince of the eunuch says, well, I mean, he asked if he could eat something else, and I gave him something else. Oh, really? Okay, good. Hey, chop his head off. This is how this king was. He was ruthless. He said, Dan, I don't feel like getting my head chopped off. Verse 11, then said Daniel to Melzar, whom the prince of the eunuchs had set over Daniel... Verse 12, prove thy servants, I beseech thee. I'm begging you, give us 10 days. Just 10 days. Let us eat nothing but pulse and water, vegetables and water. Then let our countenance be looked upon before thee. Give us 10 days, then bring us back into your presence. Look at us, and look at it here, and the countenance of the children that eat of the portion of the king's meat. And as thou seest, deal with thy servants. So he consented to them in this matter and proved them 10 days. Okay, I'll give you 10 days. 10 days, you can eat steamed broccoli and cauliflower. 10 days, you can drink nothing but water. Now, don't answer this. Don't, don't. I'm going to ask the right person. Austin will know the answer to this question. I'm going to ask a 19, 19-year-old, 19 smart, cunning, skillful young man. If you were to eat for 10 days veggies, steamed, and water, or thick steaks, lots of chicken, and protein shakes. Of those two, under normal circumstances, who's going to look better after 10 days? Exactly. The steaks, the chicken, and the protein shakes. I mean, that's why we look at these men's fitness, you know. What are they eating? They're not eating veggies. These boys are, Jim, they're, they're getting it down, man. They're eating the good stuff. Hallelujah. I mean, you know, give me a side of veggies with butter. And lots of butter. But here's the cool part, Austin. You factor in a supernatural God. You factor in a God who can take veggies and water and do wonders. And you got a different story. Amen? And look at this. This is so cool. Verse 15. And at the end of 10 days, their countenance appeared fairer, this blows my mind, and fatter. These boys had, they were fatter. They were stronger. They had bigger muscles. Eating veggies and water. And, and trust me, folks, this is called a supernatural God at work. Thus, Melzar took away the portion of their meat and wine. Isn't that awesome? Hey, Dan, don't worry. Keep eating the veggies and water. You'll look great. He takes away his meat. He takes away his wine. Verse 17, and as for the four children, God gave them knowledge and skill and all learning and wisdom and Daniel and understanding and all visions and dreams. What a supernatural God. They're rising to the top. Now at the end of the days that the king had said he should bring them in, then the prince of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. So three years later, the king communed with them. He's talking to everybody. He's hanging out and just having a good time. And he said, you know what? I'm blown away by, by four in particular. They all look good. They all look really good. They're nice kids. You got them ready for me. But Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, look at it. Verse, verse 20. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding that the kings inquired of them, he found them how many times better? Ten. Those four guys look ten times better than everybody else, including the magicians and astrologers. Everybody. Those dudes are incredible. The ones that stood. Verse 21, significant. 
And Daniel continued even unto the first year of the king of Cyrus. That might be the most important verse in the whole chapter. You say, what could be so important about that? Daniel just continued. Well, because he started at age 15. What year did the book of Daniel start? What? 605 B.C., right? He ended at the end of the reign of king who? Cyrus. How many years was that? Let me save you some time. 85, 90. 90 years. We're not talking about a temporary stand. We're talking about somebody who was the real deal. Somebody who stood for a long time and even beyond that. Now with that said, let's continue on with some principles. Because Daniel lived faithfully and fruitfully in a pagan and hostile environment for decades. Why did he do that? Listen, church, please listen. Because he determined in his heart he would not defile himself and he would make Jesus the center of his life. Number one, God's sovereignty, which simply means this, his complete control. God's sovereignty is in every circumstance. Look for it. God's sovereignty is in every circumstance. Look for it. The sovereign God of the universe is, is right, has, has Heather and Casey Goff Marion. <laughs> Isn't it cool how, how they were going to another country? And, and, and then that was going to be more dangerous, and they got changed to go to Budapest. All I'm saying is this. Is God knew all that? And in the midst of that circumstance, God put them right in the middle of chaos and said, they're right where I want them. I'm in control. Oftentimes, bad, painful things happen. And what do we do when bad, painful things happen? We begin to get discouraged. We begin to get doubtful and wonder, does God really exist? Is God really in control? Listen, had Daniel taken that view of God, if Daniel had taken his view of God based on the circumstances he was in, how would he view God? I mean, think about it. He had been ripped from his homeland. He had been forced into slavery. Many believe that I read after that all of these men were castrated and became eunuchs in the palace. Everything familiar to Daniel had been taken away. I don't know about you, but I like familiar. Are you with me? I like familiar. You know one of the hardest things for you freshmen? Madison, this isn't familiar. It's a little tough, isn't it? it, it getting used to Arkansas, Hot Springs versus Columbus, Ohio, the, the place of the number one Buckeyes, right? It's tough getting used to Arkansas. You know what? You ought to pray for these freshmen that they will adjust well. Did you hear me? Do you pray for freshmen? You've got, you got quite a few freshmen this year. You know the hardest part the freshmen are having? It's just not familiar. It's just weird waking up in a different environment. Daniel was placed in a different environment. All of these things happened to Daniel. But notice how God was working from the very beginning. Look at verse 2, if you would, please, in this chapter. This is amazing. Let me give you three quick illustrations. And I mean, I'm just going to read them. I'm not even going to talk about them. Look at verse 2. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim king of Judah. Who seems in charge here? The Lord. Amen? The Lord gave Daniel, allowed this to happen. Look at verse number 9. Look who gave Daniel favor, verse 9. Now God had brought Daniel into favor. Who seems to be working all of this out? God. Look at verse number 17. Who gave Daniel wisdom and intelligence? As for these four children, God gave them knowledge. 
It wasn't because of the king's meat, the king's wine, or their educational degree. It was because God gave them. Who gets the credit? Jesus is the center of it all. The principle is very clear in this chapter that God's sovereignty is in every circumstance. Look for it. God is working whether you see it or not. God is working. Whether you see it or not, God is at work in your life. I think about so many times in my life as I look back and see things that are like, man, I, I didn't see God working when I came to, to across country to, to plant this church. In 1992, we had been in California for two years. And when we got to California, we spent about... And on a good deal, a good deal. Everybody said, oh, yeah, Eric, do it. Great deal. I got counsel from all kinds of people. Buy that condo three blocks from the church you're working at for $128,000. Now, remember, we're, we're, we're just right outside of L.A., Beverly Hills. I mean, this is a different world in California, right? So don't, don't be thinking that was a ripoff. No. Hey, listen, you know, that was, this is California, not Arkansas. Amen? So 128 was good. Buy the condo. So the realtor said, look, you can buy it if, you, if you've got around twenty five or 30000 to put down on it. It was our first home. Well, I had that. I had saved up all my life. My dad you know, taught me how to save money. So I had all these savings. I had 30000 So I put that down on the condo. Two years later, God called us to start this church. And I went to the realtor, and she said it's worth 88000 The housing crunch had hit. California was in bad shape. And let me tell you something. When it hits in Arkansas and it hits in California, it's just a few hundred thousand dollar difference in housing prices, you know, some places. So we lost everything. We sold and broke even, actually lost a few thousand, and uh, kind of got that behind us and got a rider truck and hit it out across the country. That doesn't make sense. Listen, it doesn't make sense to lose $30,000 and come across country. You're saying to God, do you really want me to do this? So far, nothing is working out. This doesn't make sense, God. You're supposed to give us 30000 right? And that makes sense. Start a church. Here's money. Not start a church. Let me take all your money and give it to somebody else. Give it to the government. Give it to the, whatever, you know. Lose it. But God says, I'm sovereign over this. I'm in control. In other words, Eric, I'm working even if you don't see it. You don't have to see it, Eric. And oftentimes I haven't seen it. But God is still at work. And over and over again, I could testify to this fact. God has been sovereign in every circumstance of my life. Number two, the second principle I want you to see here is this. That God's people refused to compromise their faith in Daniel chapter 1. God's people refused to compromise their faith. Stand for it. Stand for what's right. Stand for your faith. Now, just for a moment, can we think of all of the reasons that Daniel could have given excuses and compromised his faith? Well, let me give you seven. I didn't put them in your notes because I didn't have enough space. But let me give you seven quick reasons. Number one, Daniel could have said, it's the order of the king. Well, Obama said it. Bush said it. Clinton said it. What we cannot forget is Acts chapter 5, verse 29. We ought to obey God rather than man. You see, sometimes there are times when, yes, we obey the laws of the land, but there are times when they conflict with what God says, and then we obey God. And so Daniel could have said, well, the king said we got to eat the meat and drink the wine. I mean, we got to do it. The king said it. Or I can stand. 
Number two, Daniel could have said, well, if we disobey, we're going to get punished. They're going to hurt us. I mean, Daniel had no idea that if he would have disobeyed, that they would have said, chop your head off. That's what the other boy was afraid of, wasn't he? Remember that? He said, you know what? It's okay. I'm going to stand even if I get punished. Daniel could have said, oh, this is going to blow my career. I've got such a bright future. I mean, I'm so smart. I'm intelligent. Hey, they actually picked me out of a lot of people, and they placed me in this position. Hey, if I've got to live in Babylon, I might as well rise to the top. If you're going to live in the world, you might as well get as much money as you can. Cheat, steal, do whatever it takes to be at the top. Daniel could have said that. Daniel could have said, wow, that food is so enticing. Man, look at that food. Steaks, meat, wine. Awesome. I mean, veggies and water? Daniel could have said, well, I'm a long way from home. Who will know? Who's going to find out? I'm in my motel room all alone. My wife will never know I'm on watching porn. This is awesome. I could do this. This is okay. No one will ever know. Daniel could have said that. Daniel could have said, everyone is doing it. Everyone, as far as we know, everyone was doing it except for how many? That's it. As far as we know, the only ones that weren't doing it was four. Everybody else was eating the king's meat, drinking the king's, the king's wine. Everybody else is doing it. Daniel could have said, God abandoned me. God, you've left me. Why should I stand for a God who allowed me to go through this? It's a very dangerous place to be, church. When you feel that way, you're in a dangerous place. But Daniel made no excuses. Rather, Daniel just took a stand. And how did he take a stand? Three ways. Number one, he made up his mind. He said, I'm going to purpose in my heart that I will not. Not I'm going to try. Not I hope to do it. No, no. I purpose in my heart. Number two, he made himself accountable. Look at verse six. It's not just Daniel. It's Daniel and what? Three men, right? Some of you men are living life alone. And it's really hard to do right when, when you're living life all by yourself. You have no accountability partner. You have nobody speaking into your life. You're not allowing anybody into your life to tell the truth, the truth and nothing but the truth. That's why it's hard to get men to come to my Wednesday night Bible study in that room. I got 12 or 13 men. That's about all I can get. Because most men don't want to be in situations where they have to just share. We just like kind of keep in private because we got a lot of junk we got things we just don't want anybody to know make yourself accountable put some people around you it's easier to take a stand that way number three he acted in faith look at verse 12 it says here prove thy servants i beseech thee 10 days and let them give us pulse to eat and water to drink he said look i'm going to step up by faith here i have no idea how this is going to work out i know veggies and water aren't going to normally make me stronger but god you got to do this. He stepped out by faith. That's how you take a stand. You make up your mind. You make yourself accountable. And you, you act in faith. Let me give you a couple of examples, gospel, of how this could potentially come to your house. 
What about this? You're out on a date with some friends. You're having a good time. They suggest a movie. The movie's rated R, and it's got a lot of nudity in it. Maybe you've already looked at the reviews. There's cuss words. There's mo- And you know what? They're your good friends. It's kind of awkward because they actually paid for your meal. What do you do? Just say this once, I guess I'll go to this movie even though I know it's probably not best. Or do you take a stand and say, you know, I'd, I'd rather not. What do you do? What do you do when your son comes home and he says, hey, I just got a job at Walgreens, Dad, and, but they're going to make me work every Sunday. What do you think I should do? It pays real good, Dad, but I got to work every Sunday morning. Ah, he needs the money. It sure would help you because maybe he'll pay for his own insurance. Or do you help your son take a stand and trust God that it's best not to work on the Lord's day? What do you do? What do you do when someone comes up to you and says, listen, I need you to tell a lie for me. He's your boss. You had a lot of respect for him, but he's gotten into some trouble and he needs you to lie to one of the employees to help him keep his job. But here's what he says. Don't worry. I'll take really good care of you if you'll do this. What do you do? Do you see where I'm at? You see, sometimes I think we look at these Bible stories and think that, oh, that, yeah, yeah, if I ever face that. But you know what? You face it every day. Every day of your life, you face temptation. You face areas in the Christian life that need someone to have the guts to say, I'm going to do the right thing. That's what the Christian life is all about. We think it's primarily about love when it's primarily about truth and doing the right thing. That's what love does. Number three, and I'm done. God's blessing comes to those who are loyal. Wait for it. God's blessing comes to those who are loyal. Wait for it. Look at our verse again, 2 Chronicles 16, 9. Just as I close the message. For the, and thanks for praying for me because I'm getting done on time. Hallelujah. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on the behalf of those who are loyal, whose hearts are perfect. Please don't miss this last thought. This is so important. This last principle is all through the book of Daniel. That God is looking to show himself strong and to give blessing to those who are willing to wait. You're going to be loyal while you're waiting. You want the blessing. You know the blessing is coming. But the problem is sometimes how long we have to wait for the blessing before we make, while we're making the right choice, rather. Let me give you an illustration, high school students and college students. Is the right choice to wait to have sex until you're married or have sex right now? What's the right choice? Wait. Wait. And God says, I've got a blessing for you. If you'll wait, I've got a blessing. Just be loyal. Don't defile yourself with fornication. Don't defile yourself by sleeping around with girls and, or a girl or girl. Don't, don't defile yourself. Hey, listen, I know sometimes it's tough. I know that things are good. But you, you wait. Be loyal. I, I've said in my word what you need to do. Please obey and, oh, man, I've got a blessing for you. You know the hard part is, guys? Parents? The hard part is making that decision and the time you have to wait until the blessing comes. Are you listening? This is where you got to be loyal. 
loyal to God. Be loyal to his word. The issue is, am I willing to wait on God? Look at Psalm 27, verse 14. So awesome. I love this verse. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, wait, wait on the Lord. I'm coming, God says. I'm coming. I'm coming. I'm telling you, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be phenomenal. You're not going to believe it. Wait, 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 wait. It's coming. Don't get in a hurry. Don't get before me. Just obey until the blessing comes. Wait. Wait. Would you please bow your heads this morning? Just for a moment. And with every head bowed and every eye closed.